Welcome back, everyone, to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined here now, UCLA, by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you on this fine Friday afternoon? I'm pretty good. I thought you were going to say here, now, and forever. Hmm. <laughs> so you and that, me, da- you and me, Dave. I think it was, they, they've got. So I think we're. I think we're conflating two things because I think they have the okay. then now forever. Then now, okay. and then they also I've, have here now UCLA. Okay, let's. I think since we don't really have an opening, why don't you say, "Here I am with Tracy." What then now and forever with Tracy Pearson? That just sounds so warm and cuddly. And I mean, it sounds like we're soulmates. Which is fine. I mean, I think are, that's fair. You know, a bit. I mean, I've always assumed we are. Are you going to tell me we're not? I mean, I, I think it's. Look, I don't think there's a one-way soulmate relationship. I you think are it's so obviously... hedging here. Are you? No, I mean, it's got to be a two-way street. Reciprocate. So... Oh my god. Okay. <sighs> you know, it's it's the denial of love that makes your uh, your fire burn hotter. I think. Unrequited is always the strongest. It's true. Um, well, this is fun. We're enjoying our show already, and we're only a minute and 20 seconds in. Hey, uh, hey, by the way, since we're off track for a while, uh, I saw I saw your post about In-N-Out mm-hmm, in mm-hmm, Colorado mm-hmm. Springs. Yep. I'm not – you think I'm about – because I'm Californian, I'm about to call you out, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to whisper this so no one hears. I'm not a big In-N-Out fan myself. It's Amazing. good. It's not incredible. It's good because it's only $3.50 or whatever it is. But it's not it's not like you take a bite of it and say, Wow, that meat is so good. No, no, so I think tasty. what it is literally Just, so it's this combination of nostalgia. I think that's a big part of it. And also the fact that it's like piping hot all the time when it comes out and salty. And people are like, Oh, it's piping hot and salty and it's, you know, got some sauce on it. This is a good burger. And I'm just like, yeah, I mean, for a fast food burger, it's pretty good. Like, I'm not going to deny you that. I think it's pretty good. Is it any, like, significantly better or worse than, like, a Carl's Jr. burger? Eh, maybe. Like, have you, have you ever had a Whataburger, like, it, in Texas? Yeah, but it's the same crap. Like, it's like, whatever. Yeah, yeah this but is... I'll even say in and outs better than that. Yeah, but no, it, Whataburger, White Castle, it's superior yeah. to, like, those regional, like, pieces of crap. Yeah. That's totally, totally valid and good. But in Southern California, you can go to The Habit, you can go to Tommy's, you can go to all these different places. There's Shake Shacks. There's Shake There's Shacks. Shacks. There's so many other places. And yeah, the price will be a little bit different, but you don't have to wait for like 30 or 40 minutes for your food, which, look, I'm not a big, um, you know, uh, uh, capitalism guy. We'll just say that. I'm not big on subscribing to Time is Money, but time is money. Like, you don't want to sit there for 40 minutes for something that's eh, it's fine and, and then on top of it the fries unless you get animal fries and then you're just eating it for the cheese and the thousand island dressing well that's the other so, thing unless you unless you turn what is like a comfortably sized meal into something that makes you feel bad afterwards and also like adds like 1200 calories to your body like unless you're doing it like that where you also have to order on a fake menu that doesn't actually exist when you walk into the place. Like you actually have to yeah. be like, oh, I'm an aficionado. I know I need to get this animal style or order my fries well done or whatever. If the base menu items are just fine or whatever, I really it, it just does not make any sense. Yeah. Way underrated burger is Wendy's. Wendy's is yeah, but but this Wendy's is the other is thing. But this is the other thing. Even if you say Wendy's is like a slight cut below In-N-Out, which I would probably contend as far as the burger quality, mm-hmm. you drive to a Wendy's, you're out of there in three minutes, and you have your burger. You and go to In-N-Out. I, I get your time thing, but I would even contend that it's the meat is better. Yeah, Oops. I'm saying even if you say they're equal, even whatever, it's still a superior option because it's not going to take you forever to do it. So I'm telling you though, you got to give them a lot of credit. I, I mean, In and Out. It's marketing, generated, baby. It's God. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's like well, they had a great younger, jingle. The, the jingle. Bigger. The jingle's good. Um, the logo's great. Like they're they're really good at all that stuff. And I think they're certainly and the, simp- and the simple menu. Just keep it simple. Don't get elaborate. Just keep it nice and easy and simple. Yeah, and the stupid. I mean, the the secret menu. I think the the kind of cachet of all of that. Because that used to be like a real secret menu, and now it's yeah. much less 
of a real there, secret, there are secret menu. menus at Starbucks too, you know. Oh that. yeah, you can you can do it everywhere, but um In and Outs was like this kind of underground thing for a long time and now it's, you know, blatant and out in the open. Okay. But anyway. We're done. Anyway, In and Out fine. It's a fine burger. Uh don't wait in line for it. How long was that line to the same Colorado Springs? Somebody was waiting in it since Tuesday. Oh my god, when you said days you weren't exaggerating. No, I said that that's the crazy part. I mean, I think it's that crazy that people person, wait in, in forty minute lines for in and out, but three days. That poor person seriously had to drive away and go. What the hell? No, 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 no. You don't. You don't understand fanaticism. Then, uh, no, they will walk away convinced that was the best burger of no, their but, life. No, but what if you waited and you would never really had one? And no one waiting. Dejected. No one. No one. No one who isn't already a fanatic or who isn't already like possessed of just some obvious uh, cognitive difficulties uh, will wait three days for a burger in their car. And people on our forum make a good point. Pliny the Younger, whenever it comes out, it goes to a limited amount of bars. There's only a couple of kegs. It's usually done within a couple of hours. And, you know, there have been, I've seen lines that are like four hours to get 10 ounces, and that's it. And people are absolutely right. It's not worth that. But Planet of the Younger and Planet of the Elder are superior IPAs, but they're not – I'm with you on the time. They're not worth four hours by no. any stretch. No. Okay. Let's move on. All right. Now I'm, now I'm thirsty and hungry. Now okay. the pump is primed to talk about some delicious UCLA football. Does that work? <laughs> I think it wow. worked. Let's go with it. King of the segue. Yeah, you oh are. Boy. Oh, boy. Wow. Um, win awards i i, I should i have they actually teach several your segues in journalism school do you know i once won an award for literary magazine poetry in high school oh my god would you please recite the poem please uh, god I, oh, please. I, I once had As it committed soulmate, i once had it committed to memory but it is no longer there um, you could find it you could dig it out somewhere uh it might still be on display actually at my local high school I'm I'm googling right now David Woods poetry at it was El Segundo High School right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I I don't think you're going to find anything, but what I'm saying is I am an award-winning poet. Oh my god! No, that's not it. I'm an award-winning poet, so it makes sense that my turns of phrase are in fact uh, elite. But anyway, um, okay. we're talking about UCLA football here at the seven and a half minute mark of this ostensibly uh, football-related podcast. I'm glad you're all still in it, guys. Yep. Really um, still here. Wow. There's 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 like seven people who listening to the show who are so mad right now, like so angry. And we have so much to talk about, <laughs> no. but we don't even know what we can talk about. Yeah. Which is, that's kind of funny. Okay. Yeah. So UCLA, uh, they're one and one uh, here in the early going of the season. They beat uh, Cal last week on the short notice game on Sunday, lost to Colorado and Carl Durrell in week one. And now they are poised to play Oregon this weekend. And Tracy, I'll tell you, when I was writing the preview for this game, I was starting to talk myself in to UCLA actually having a potential to be, win this game. Because Oregon is not, I, I think people think, oh, Oregon, they're a top 10-ish team. Uh, they're a really elite team. They could potentially make the college football playoff this year. That's all true. Like, I think Oregon's pretty good, but they're not flawless. And that defense yeah. this year is gettable, particularly yeah. by what UCLA can do. I mean, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, for, you know, some of the blemishes on his game, he's been making some big explosive plays downfield, and Oregon has been very susceptible to that this year. So it's not, it wasn't at all a stretch um, right in that preview to think, eh, UCLA could get into a shootout here and win the game. But... What do we know about Dor Dorian Thompson Robinson right now? Uh, as of, to my knowledge, he had tested positive for COVID-19. Um, they were in the process of trying to retest them to see if the first test came up a false positive. That's where it stands. I have not heard any update since. Uh so uh, it really is kind of, I mean, what I've been trying to do is call some people to see if he actually got on that plane. Th that would be the biggest indication of whether he could play. Th there's actually one source who said, said it this way. I have no indication that he didn't get on the plane. So, but that's not. 
good enough. Um, so, yeah, if anyone can go, I mean, they're probably already there, but if there's anyone in Oregon who wants to go, you know, maybe stake out the airport, that would be, that would be great. Um, but that's where, that's where it stands right now. I, 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 I would say most likely he doesn't, he does not play. From what, if I gathered enough, if I put together all the information that I had gathered, um, I think there is one other, like I wrote on the forum, I think there's one other player that will be caught up in the quarantine. I I don't know if he tested positive or if he uh, is a matter of just close contact. And that's where it stands. Now, who knows? So many things could have changed. Such a fluid situation, I I couldn't even tell you. There could be more people. I think Ben Bolt said multiple and made it sound like there were a lot of guys. And then, obviously, they had had enough to play the game first. And then, I think, didn't John Wilner say they... They're on their way. I think that yeah, they're they've so, they've been cleared to yeah. travel. Um, yeah, so so that's where that's where it all stands right now. So it's actually kind of a um, an imperfect storm, a perfect storm, whatever you want to call it, um, because they will play this football game. It sounds like like they did not um, lose so many guys to contact tracing or um, COVID that they will cancel the game, but they may do it without. Truly, based on the depth chart, um, the most essential player on the team. Um, and that's not that's not saying necessarily that Dorian Thompson-Robinson is the best player on the team, uh, but he's certainly the most essential because behind him... Um, can you do like a tumbleweed sound? Is that a sound that you can make? Uh, no, I can't. Well, I can't. The, well, just... All right, everyone, close your eyes and picture a tumbleweed on like a desolate... Like on a Tucson, like like Tucson, like just picture Tucson. Actually, that's fine. Um, but now just picture like those Tucson tumbleweeds, which I'm thinking of as like uh, trash bags. Like that's what a tumbleweed in Tucson looks like. That's what I'm picturing. That is um, what, and that's it, it's what I'm saying is it's not a good depth chart, and there's not a lot behind Dorian Thompson well, Robinson. Okay. Am I evoking? Am I? Am I? Is that a, yes. being evoked well enough here? Yes, and you know what? I really want to get into this because I don't want people to naturally assume that we are really talking trash about Chase Griffin. There, there. I just want to be really clear about all of this. Chase Griffin, uh, from all I know about the kid, is a great kid, smart kid, works hard. Uh, there, you just can't like people. Some people have said future president of the United States. That kind of kid, right? Um, there are plenty of posts on the forum that are saying things like he was, you know, Texas State Player of the Year, you know, this and this. And why can't there are plenty of quarterbacks in the history of football who were 5'11", you know, who were good. There was all of these guys people are mentioning. And I, I just want to be completely clear about this. The fact Why that are you I, talking smack about the future Kyler Murray right here? <laughs> the fact that I am saying this. This way, I just want to lay this out perfectly. The fact that my evaluation of him and most people who I respect their evaluations of him are not that he's a power five level quarterback is no reflection on him. It's more a reflect. It's it's not even more. It's absolutely 100 percent a reflection on UCLA's recruiting efforts. Um, Why is he not a power five prospect to me? 5'11 is stretching it. He's more like 5'10. Some people say, well, you don't need height. Well, you do. You need a you need to look over 6'4 guys generally. It really helps on an angle on the field to be able to throw um, over guys who are 6'4 to 6'6. Um, and just to have the strength to be able to make uh, arm strength to be able to make all those throws. I saw him play uh, in camps at a few different camps in high school. I've seen him at UCLA's practice. I don't think he can play really effectively at this level. Now, this is not, again, to get into the Ryan Walcott phenomenon. Do you remember the Ryan Walcott phenomenon? Were you around for that? Yeah, it's the idea, if everyone, the, the theory. It's, it's, so when you get a guy who's not necessarily a UCLA level player on the field, 
it's not as if they're suddenly just going to be tripping over their shoelaces. Um, Did you read my post? Did you read my post? No. It's so funny because whenever we say Ryan Walcott, we always use the tripping over the shoelaces. <laughs> yeah, no, but that's that's the whole that's the basis yeah. of the theory. It's like yeah. it's not going to be like immediately obvious, but then if you watch like the balance of a game, they're not going to more than likely do very well because. And if you don't know the Ryan Walcott, he was a basketball player during the Lavin era, who ended up having he was a backup point guard and he ended up having to play had to start a few games. I think had a major role. And he'd come out and make one pass, and he hit a shot, and everyone would say, oh, my God, look at him. He's really this good. And then after you got to see him and watch him, he, he wasn't. And the team wasn't very good with him playing point guard. So I can't see – Chase Griffin is not going to come out there and trip on his own shoelaces. He'll probably you know complete a few passes. But he's not going to be able to enable UCLA to win at a really high level. And it's just – it's not just my opinion – he played in Texas 6A football. That's not, I mean, I, I haven't checked. This is always my assumption from past knowledge that that's the highest level of Texas football. Um, if in Texas, where you can't really escape recruiting attention, uh, he would have been recruited by other Power 5 schools that they really saw that he could play at this level, right? Kyler Murray, who was probably 5'10 and 5'11", I think was at least a four star, if not a five star. No, he was a five star. He was a five star because yeah, five star because he could light it up. He was athletic. He had a good arm. He he beat out everyone in all these camps. He could make up for being five ten and five eleven. There are always exceptions to the rule. Absolutely, could Chase Griffin be the exception? He absolutely could. But just because there's an exception to rules in the history of football doesn't mean that he has a high chance of succeeding. We're just trying to give it to you straight, and everyone's fighting it really a lot. And I understand because you want to believe in the kid because he's a good kid. And again, it's not his fault that he's put in this position. It's UCLA's fault. And, you know, he might go out there on Saturday and completely surprise us all because we have seen people who would not think were players at a certain level. And you throw them in a game, and they, they're complete gamers. And he is a smart kid, so he'll be able to think the position. So that's Chase Griffin. But then here's the other thing that's really interesting to me. Um, the guy who was the QB2 uh, is Colson Yankoff. He was in spring for those three practices. To my knowledge, going into fall camp, he was QB2. He was up until the moment when he went into uh, Chip Kelly's office and, and asked to be moved to wide receiver. Um Chip is a pretty accommodating guy when it comes to trying to do things or what players want. I get that. I've heard that. Um, but in this instance, given that, first off, no quarterback ever, no program ever gets through a season without its starting quarterback getting hurt. It hasn't happened recently in, in, for UCLA. Um, knowing that behind Colson Yankoff is not a great depth chart that would you'd really be risking you'd really be risking putting someone else in. The fact that Colson Yankoff is kind of a play alike to Thompson Robinson. He's an elite athlete who has a decent, actually, I mean, DTR has a better arm, but he's a very, very good athlete who can really run with the ball. So meaning you wouldn't have to necessarily really change up the game plan that much. Um, I think Chip Kelly might have not been such a good guy in this instance and said, Colson, I understand maybe your pro position is wide receiver, but this season right now, we need you as our QB too. Will you do that for me? I think that should have been said. Um, and I think it should be Colson Yankoff who's going to be playing. And to my knowledge, everyone's wondering if he's coming out of the wide receiver room and moving into quarterback. As of yesterday, that was a no. But who knows as of today? Yeah. What, what, what's your opinion, Dave? Oh, Tracy. Um, <laughs> so with the Chase Griffin thing, I'm not – I think the, the height thing with quarterbacks is mainly because of what it correlates to with other attributes that are extremely important for uh, quarterbacks. Like if you're tall, you're generally also pretty strong. You can throw a ball pretty hard. 
Um, and, you know, what it, what it generally correlates to is long arms, all that kind of crap that ma- actually really does matter. There's been a lot of small quarterbacks. It's fine. The thing is, there are exceptions. You know, the fact that Tyler, that Kyler Murray can throw a rocket is because of the way his arm works with his tiny little body. But that's a rarity. Most of the time, you'll see height correlate to strength. That's that's more or less why you see that so much. Because, you know, at 6'4", you're not looking over a 6'4 guy because your eyes are in the middle of your head. They're not the top of it. Um, but generally speaking, that's when you see the exceptions is when they're they're kind of just exceptionally strong for their size. Uh, Chase Griffin hasn't given us that indication. Um, and then when I've seen him throw, it's, you know below average below average arm strength um maybe pretty accurate but the thing is if you're accurate with below average arm strength at the pac-12 level it doesn't really matter because you're going to get picked off a lot um so i yeah i mean i i don't really i don't really see that one um and obviously he could be a gamer but even as a gamer i think his physical attributes will limit him to still not being very good i mean i think they will have to if you just think about what they're doing with Thompson Robinson in that offense right now, like how many times is he having to make a downfield throw essentially off his back foot or rolling to his left and then rocketing one into the end zone? Um, they're not going to be able to do any of that if it's Griffin. Um, and that's I'm not trying to knock Griffin. I'm just saying that's the state of the depth chart is that you have options there that can't execute the offense. They can't execute what they've been doing for the first two games of this year or any game last year. Um, so that's on Wait. Chip. What? Okay. Go ahead. Keep going. But Sorry. that's on, that's on Chip Kelly. I mean, that's, this is what we've been talking about for a long time is that you just, if you screw up your roster management this badly, this is the, you know, it's, you reap what you sow and they've sowed, um, a situation where they have essentially, and again, I'm not trying to knock Griffin here, but you have two non PAC 12 level players in the depth chart behind Thompson Robinson. That's, you're going to get what you get when you do that. And so as the Yankoff thing, um, yeah, I mean, obviously it would be ideal if he moved to quarterback. And I know as much as Chip Kelly wants to be accommodating of players, um, this is one of those situations where I think uh, having him move to receiver wasn't accommodating the best interests of Colson Yankoff. Because if you look at that receiving depth chart versus the quarterback depth chart, it's very obvious which situation led to, would lead to likely more playing time this year. And it's quarterback. Um, even if he was just the backup, it would be quarterback um, receiver. First, they're not really doing a whole lot with their receivers. It's still going to be a very obviously a Demetric Felton and then tight end who turns out to be Greg Dulcich uh, oriented passing attack. So you're not going to be catching the ball a whole lot anyway, and that's if you're starting. Um, but he's like third string. So what would you rather be, the backup quarterback for this team or the third string receiver? And I think it's obvious here in game three that the likelihood of you playing is going to be significantly more so at quarterback. But can you really do that with two days notice or three days notice or whatever they've actually had knowing that potentially Dorian Thompson Robinson is out for this game? Um I still think they should, and a simplified playbook with Colson Yankoff would more than likely be infinitely better than a simplified playbook with Chase Griffin. Um, but I, I, I don't know if they're flexible in their thinking in that regard. A few things on top of that. And um, first off, I just want to mention, did you hear the interview when I, I think it was after, I think it was after the Colorado game, and I asked Coach Kelly about uh, Thompson Robinson throwing off his back foot. Did you hear that interview? And he said, and I said there were times when it seemed like he was under a little pressure. He had to throw off his back foot. And he said, that was by design. <laughs> yeah. I, I, well, honestly, I think there's a few of them that are, like very clearly yeah. are. And then there's a lot yes. of it that's, uh, no, he had a pass rusher deep in his face. But there's times where he's like doing a little dump off off his back foot. So it's one of those Chip sure. Kelly being a literalist type things. Yeah. Yeah, and you give that little bit of an opening and he'll jump right through. Okay, so there's that. The irony here is, I mean, if you look at all of college football, keeping a good quarterback depth chart is a difficult thing because in today's world, if you if you have a decent quarterback on your roster who's the returning starter and he's a junior, let's say, most... <laughs> Most high school quarterback prospects aren't going to go to your school. They're not going to go to your program because they think they want 
op an open door that they're going to walk in and just be anointed the starter as a true freshman. They, they don't want to wait a year. They certainly don't want to wait two years. So it's really difficult to build good depth. Um, Chip Kelly was struggling to do that very much. He missed on quarterbacks over a couple of years. That's why he ended up taking Chase Griffin. He was going to take two that year. He, he missed on Jaden Daniels, missed on a few other guys that year. But then he has Colson Yankoff fall into his lap as a transfer. So we actually, between Dorian Thompson-Robinson, Colson Yankoff, and that you have a scholarship freshman uh, in Parker McQuarrie, who probably can't play right now, but you have him that you can develop, and maybe a capable walk-on, and then maybe Chase Griffin... That wasn't in the scheme of depth, quarterback depth. That's not horrible. So the irony is he actually had it fall into his lap. He had it, and now it's a wide receiver. So that's crazy to me. Um, I don't blame Chase uh, Colson Yankoff because at this point, he's got to be thinking what's good for him. He he is a 6'3 to 6'4 200-pound athlete, one of the best athletes on the team, one of the fastest guys on the team who has good hands. We've seen quarterbacks, college quarterbacks, end up NFL-wide receivers. He probably has the potential to be a decent college quarterback, but he might have NFL potential at wide receiver. It's completely reasonable for him to think, I need to start working. If I'm going to look down the line, if I'm going to make it to the NFL. I'm going to probably make it as a wide receiver. I need to start working on my craft right now. So reasonable 100%, but I don't, I think it's also reasonable to say could in this year, the strange year that we have in our depth chart, I'm going to need you at QB two and you are going to play. So it's kind of an irony that we're saying he didn't build good depth, which I'm, I'm not questioning that he, he actually didn't build good depth, but he had it fall into his lap and this if we're talking about personnel mismanagement the best qb2 is is the fourth string wide receiver well i guess so tracy here's my thing is i think this year is proving a lot of our previous assumptions about football are like kind of false like the idea that you have to have like games scheduled like 15 years in advance um that you can't develop anything new on like two days notice or whatever run yankoff out there with eight plays you teach today and see what happens like I, I just don't get it like have him play have him be primarily a receiver and this week hey buddy you're gonna have to be in the quarterback room and we're gonna get you up to speed he's got a lot more talent even if they just run the friggin option I like him better running the friggin option than I do Chase Griffin running this offense you know um, what that's such not Chase, uh, Chip Kelly I know he's but that's my that, but my that, but my point is it's no him. football coach right now but this yeah. stuff isn't as like rocket sciency as these guys have been making it out to be for so many years. You know who would do it? You know who would do it? And people, please don't at me about this. Jim Mora would do it. He would move Miles Jack to running back, right? Yeah. Jim, no, Mora, yeah, Jim yeah. Mora would go, hey, he, let's he, do this. He, he did do it. I mean, that, exactly. that, that, that's a thing that happened. Yeah. Um, I, would, I, I think that would be the way to go um, in this game if Dorian Thompson-Robinson is unavailable. Um, just yeah. go simple. Like, uh, obviously you're not going to probably try to run the whole thing with a guy who hasn't been in the room for the entirety of fall camp and now into the season, but whatever, run eight plays at tempo and see what happens. Give I, I just, there's no Give risk. There's absolutely no risk for Chip Kelly in doing that. Just see what happens. He's been, he's been playing quarterback his whole life. Yeah, he, he can throw a football. He, he can throw a football all summer. He's, it's not like he might, his timing might be a little, but it's not like he suddenly forgot how to throw a football. I mean, he could do this in his sleep. It's so muscle memoried into his brain. He, he wouldn't even have to think to be able to do this. Yeah. So, you know what? I'm almost convinced myself that they're going to put in a package for him. They should. I, I don't think they will, but they should. Um, anyway, Oregon itself, um, again, before the news, I thought, They've got a really, really good offense, um, and it's almost – it's kind of scary because I don't think their offensive line is, like, great or dominant yet, and I think Tyler Shuck, which, like, 
such a weird way to pronounce that name, but Tyler Shuck, their quarterback, he's going to be really good. I don't know if he's there yet. Um, he runs the RPO really well. They're not at peak potential, and they're they're really, really efficient. Um, so I think once that offensive line gets more reps, once he's fully, you know, versed in everything, like next year that offense is going to be really, really, really good. Um, this year it's really good. But their defense, despite not losing that much, um, they've taken a big step back, um, and they're allowing a ton of explosive plays. It's just UCLA without DTR is just, I don't think they're going to be poised to take advantage of what is the weakness of that team. What was your what was your uh, score prediction? I had forty one thirty one with DTR out. I'd probably go something more like forty one seventeen. Yeah, I mean, my just viewing and and having evaluated games and trying to do previews. I mean, and your approach, I think, is a very sound one. It's just going looking at specific matchups. If you if you look at this matchup, I I think Oregon's offense. I still have I don't have confidence in in UCLA's defense, and Oregon's offense can run the ball, and they have some really good running backs, and they're very effective, they're explosive. I think they were in my the way I would say looking at it, looking at both units, Oregon was going to be able to move the ball and score. I think UCLA's offense, from what we've seen of it, has been pretty effective. And pretty explosive. And I think they would have moved the ball against Oregon's defense. I think it would have been a high-scoring, near kind of shootout um, with Dorian Thompson-Robbins. I just don't see that now. So I think you got to add – I think you maybe got to add because UCLA is not – is going to have a few more series that, that sputter. You might have to add a few more little points to Oregon's total and take away a few – at UCLA, but it, it is kind of a shame. I agree with the people on the forum that are saying it's too bad that we weren't able to see what could have been. But then on the other hand, what I wrote today, that's almost bordering on an excuse. And there are no excuses why Chip Kelly can't be competing with Oregon in his third year, even with his starting quarterback out. He should be able to put a competitive team on this field to where it's not a blowout. If they don't win, they should be competitive in this game. That's where it should be. If you, a month before, right when he was hired, if you said in year three, your starting quarterback's out, should Chip Kelly play a competitive game with Oregon, everyone would have said absolutely. It's just you tend to make excuses when you're in the middle of it like we are right now. And I don't think those excuses are valid at this point. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's a fair and uh, just way of looking at it. So, yeah, I mean, what they throw out on the field is what Chip Kelly has created. So we'll see. I mean, you know, he pulled some rabbits out of his hat against Cal, so maybe he has some more to pull out against Oregon. Um, You know, maybe he's coaching a little bit freer this year. Who knows? Um, So, yeah, that's that's about it for this game this weekend. Yeah. UCLA basketball starts its season next week. Is that crazy? It That's feels nuts. it feels surreal. Snuck really. up on us. Yeah, because it's not really that far off from when it usually starts. But the fact that football just start started, you feel like you feel like it's September and basketball is starting in September. Yeah, that's that's exactly how it feels. Um yeah. and it's it's odd. Um but yeah, that kick that tips off. Tips off. That's the thing is all my lingo is going to it's going to have to adjust, um, you know, mid-season here. Um, but that tips off on Wednesday. Is that correct? Am I correct that is in saying correct. that? Wednesday and then Friday. Pretty impressive. Um, I'm I'm, uh, you know, continue to be uh, extremely excited about everything I'm hearing about this team and um, what is to come on Wednesday. Um, we're in the middle of writing our season previews, which should be coming out. You know, sometime, um, probably Sunday or Monday for the first batch, and then I would guess Tuesday for uh, the prediction. Kind of what we're saying that it's all kind of caught, you know, just kind of caught up with us, and we're kind of taken, you know, a little bit by surprise. 
that's kind of our coded ex- our own excuse. This is my way of saying that of I saying didn't get to it. We're not prepared to write this brief. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's my way of saying as I didn't get to it, and I will get to it. It will happen. You, 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 ravenous hordes, will have previews. You will have a season preview full of you know. Like one paragraph of like well written stuff, and then just like absolutely turgid, awful prose for the rest of it. Um, but you'll get that. Don't don't doubt. You will get it. You know, and this is just this is we're I'm pulling back the curtain a little. Dave and I always talk about that. Sometimes we write great stuff, and we walk away going, "God, that was really good." And then quite often we write stuff that we don't think is very good and we're probably actually we come off cocky we sound cocky but we're actually kind of humble to the point of self-deprecating because we we both think we both write crap a lot absolute Uh, dog shit at all times is i think the way i would like to describe my writing style and and i have to say most people come to me and they say hey i read the thing that you wrote or i wrote the thing and it was great and i go wow that was great I i thought it was horrible um but I don't. I really think people don't notice. I. You know what? This is what it is, and this is going to be a little bit of arrogance. The bar is low out there in the internet. <laughs> That's true. So when they have you and I, our our what what we think is bad and it is bad, it it might be good comparatively. It's all relative. I love to hear it. I love to hear yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of things that are good, and remain good, UCLA basketball. Like that, I transitioned back to basketball by saying that's because it's good. I wandered. I wandered away. You I wandered really away, did. and I, I just I'm leading you back into the uh, into the fold. Into the and field. this is what I want to say again: the interview this week with Mick Cronin. Don't you think there's a little? He's hiding a little giddiness. I yeah, think. he's. I think he's really excited about this team. He's excited. He almost can't stop breaking into a smile. Yeah, and I don't want to get I don't want to get too you know out over my skis, but I'm I'm really excited to see what this thing looks like on Wednesday um, because yeah. every little bit of news that's coming out, everything they're saying, Johnny Juzang is a better shooter than Jake Kaiman stuff. Like, I want to see this. Like, I want yeah, to see what this looks that. like. Um, yeah. And oh, but I do have to mention this. So every single year, I believe, when Ben Howland was at UCLA, starting with literally the first off season. He talked about how he was going to go faster, how the offense was going to be faster. They were going to move a little bit more. Um, and he never did until it got bad. Like, but for basically five straight off seasons, it was, oh, no, we're, we're going to go up tempo. We're going to go up tempo. And every year it was the exact same methodical half court, half court. Mick Cronin is a slower coach than Ben Howland ever was. Like the offense is a snail's pace and has been – Every single year of his coaching career, I think he's just completely BSing the way Ben Howland did every single offseason. What is your feeling? Um, I have to say that I – okay, there's, there's a big distinction here. Do you think Ben was actually – this is my opinion, and, I, and this is what I think is – uh, the situation with Mitt too. Ben fully intended to, <laughs> to play at a faster pace. He really he went into every season when he said that he legitimately believed he was going to do it because it made logical sense. I have the superior talent. I want to get if over the course of a game, if I get more possessions in, my talent will prevail. That made sense to him, but he just could not. What it was about him, he couldn't control himself of controlling every half court possession. Yeah, you he might say he had he you had he had some sort of compulsion, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> I I think legitimately Mick Cronin is in the same spot of where he's very data driven. He understands I have the superior talent for most of the teams I'm gonna be playing against. I need more possessions. More possessions, but like the first, the third possession of that of that game on Wednesday, when Chris yeah. Smith throws the ball out of the bounds, are they going up tempo the rest of the game? Um, I believe we have a better chance with Mick Cronin to do it than Ben, 
because you alluded to, and I don't want to say it, that Ben might have had some other factors and elements that made him not be able to do it. I think Mick isn't as prone to those Psy, uh, those kind of psychosis compulsions, <laughs> compulsions. Uh, I I think we have a better chance of doing it. I think there are going to be times when Mick just after after a few turnovers, he is, you know that when he grits his teeth and he looks like he's going to come out of his body and fly across the court and strangle Jalen Hill, or I, when I, he's actually very close to doing that to one of his assistants. <laughs> i'm sorry i'm sorry i know most people think he was really good last year and everyone loved him but that was maybe the drawback that i i personally thought that was a great element of his coaching oh it's great coaches should be ass kickers you should be a little bit afraid of them at all they should not be your buddy they should have that buddy element but you should be afraid of of their wrath. By yeah, the, the, I don't have a problem with the yelling. It's when you border on demeaning that it gets a little iffy for me. Uh, but uh, yeah, get over yourself, Snowflake. Let him demean him a little. <laughs> Come on. Ah. <laughs> um, but, but anyway, anyway my my it. thing on the tempo. My thing on the tempo is I don't want them to be up tempo. Like, okay, fine. I don't think they need to be 325th in the country in adjusted tempo like they were last year. But get to 200 and stop. Like, I don't want Mick Cronin to suddenly think he's got to fly up and down the court like some, like, worthless Alford team, like, throwing away possessions. Like, there's a middle ground. I think you can find it um, where they're doing a little bit more to maximize their talent level this year. But don't be what you aren't. Um, And I don't... Remember remember Howland's offense when he finally did it? I think it was a... Yeah, no, exactly. And it wasn't it wasn't good. Like it was yeah. not and that really took him away from his defense. Um yeah. which was the fundamental problem. And um, I don't think I don't think Mick it's like Mick said in that interview. Well, it's it's all about defense. It's all about de- if if we're not playing good defense, none of this happens anyway. So like you said it it did take away. That's why I asked him the question because I remember that about about Ben that it's it, the whole thing. It, it's just not one thing and the other thing, and they're not related. Everything's related. So when Ben started to try to do that, his defense really was not nearly as effective. I I don't think Mick Cronin's given up his defense. I, I just don't. Mick Cronin knows who he is. Ben Howland, amazingly, we've talked about this a lot. He did not think he was a defensive coach. <laughs> no, he, he thought really, he thought he was an elite off. And frankly, he, he was pretty good as an offensive coach. Like he did, you know, his set plays were pretty good, but he's not an offensive coach. That's not, that's not who you are. It's not even who you look like, Ben, like embrace what you look like. You look like a bulldog. Just that's just go with yeah. it. All and right. You know what? It's, not, it's not, it's not whether you're an offensive coach or not. That's not what it is in college basketball. What it is, is I thought Ben, some of Ben's sets were were friggin' great, I thought, and really matched his personnel. That's not it. Could he draw up some good offensive sets? I think Ben absolutely could. It's a matter of relinquishing control, yeah. and that's what I think Mick even alluded to it is letting them play uh, without him calling every single possession oh, as they come. That was great when that's, when, when Ben when Ben finally started putting in motion. And you could just hear him just getting so angry on the sideline when they would be actually running motion because it's like, oh, I don't, I don't, I'm not actually calling this for a follow to get a corner three. Ugh, what are they doing? Um, it was great. Yeah, um, it will be. It will be interesting. I do think. I do. I, I'll just say this. I think that defensively they're going to be very good, and Mick will go in allowing them to run a little bit more at a faster pace off of their defense. If the defense doesn't do that, it's, it's, it's all over <laughs> to me. Um, so I, I think that's it. I think he trusts, I think what it is too, that team at the beginning of last year, you don't let, you don't let them play loose. Oh my God. They were, there would have been 27 turnovers a game. 
who he has now with Tiger Campbell and all these guys being a, a lot more disciplined and a lot just so much better in terms of their technique and everything, I, I think he'll feel more confident. But is he ever just going to let them run up, just run up and down and not call plays and let them a free flowing offense? And no, that, I don't think that's ever going to happen. But yeah. Yeah, so um, things I'm kind of excited to see. So last year, I think UCLA's offense, it was in a pretty close to elite offensive rebounding team. Um, defensive boards uh, were very good as well. I want that to see, I want to see that continue to improve. Like this should be one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the country, best overall rebounding teams in the country, because that is a huge part of what he prioritizes. Um, I want to see him take more threes. You know, last year, only, I think, 33% of their shots were from three. That's pretty low for um, high major teams, but also just generally teams in college basketball these days get that up to, like, 35%, something like that, especially if they've got better shooters. But really, one thing I was just kind of impressed by was that they got a lot better at the things that Mick Cronin prioritizes last year, which speaks to really good coaching and really good buy-in. I'm expecting all of those things to be better. Like, I'm expecting them to turn people over a lot more. I'm expecting the rebounding to be a lot better, and it was already very good. I'm expecting their blocks to be way up. Like, I'm expecting Jalen Jalen Hill to be a much better shot blocker, and he was already pretty good last year. But I expect all of that to improve, and not necessarily because of, like, personnel improvements, but just because of the response to coaching. Um, and I think it's, it's going to be something to behold, because I think we're, we're going to see basically my thesis for the season is we're going to see the most talented team that Mick Cronin has ever coached in the second year of his coaching, which they're all taking to very well. What that combination looks like, I think is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And you know, we're trying to read the Mick Cronin TVs thinking that he's kind of giddy underneath trying to be serious, but it's fun to do that. (laughs) Yeah. It's just fun. Yeah. And when when in an interview he says one of his biggest concerns is his players not getting overconfident, that's kind of a sign, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he did. He didn't have that concern all of last year. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when he's saying, I think, and he wasn't just saying because of the preseason Pac-12 media prediction. I think he's thinking this team's really good, and the problem could be that they don't play with a chip on their shoulder or an anger to prove themselves instead of being the underdog, the, the front runner mentality can, can always hurt a team. And, and that, that's something I could see Mick Cronin worrying about. But the premise of that is you're good enough to worry about that. Yeah. 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 And I think, um, they just might be. So just, just got a notification Washington state at Stanford. Yeah. That's canceled. So, this is an interesting wrinkle because Stanford and Colorado just played, but they're the two teams that are available now to play this weekend. Yeah. So I'm interested to see if that happens or if the Pac-12 gets super creative, um, screws over UCLA again, sends them back home to play Stanford and moves Colorado to play Oregon. Man, that's a lot of, a lot of moving. I don't think they would do it just to prevent basically a repeat game, but that would be the wrinkle that would make sense. Um because Stanford has already played Oregon, um, and Stanford has already played Colorado. Colorado has already played Stanford and UCLA. So maybe Colorado plays. You know, they switch dance partners. Or they're not. They're not against. Remember, they just came out and said they could schedule non-conference. Yeah, that's games. not going to happen on short notice. And the Mountain West would have to do different testing protocols to make it work. So yeah. there's no way that can happen um, this weekend. Okay. So what are you saying that's going to happen this weekend? I think Colorado and Stanford repeat. I think they're going to play Sunday really? morning. Yeah, I think it'll be a home and home. I think they'll have Stanford fly to uh, Colorado this weekend and take. You them can't on there. say they haven't had enough time to prepare. Well, and that's that might be another reason why it would happen is because they know they just got done with Colorado prep, so they know Colorado and Colorado knows them. So you know you're not ending up with that issue. Um, I think it's more likely they do that or both teams cancel, but I think they're going to try to prioritize playing games. This is back like in the 1930s when you, when UCLA played like St. Mary's twice. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> World War II, they played SC twice. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's playing like Iowa pre-flight or whatever. Um, 
So th- that's going to be interesting to see. I'm I'm um I'm going to be watching this one closely, but I don't think they would try to impact anyone else's schedule. But that's the way they would do it if they wanted to avoid repeats. Is Arizona State ever going to play football again? They're playing uh, sometime, I'm sure. Uh, Herm Herm got sick. Isn't the sick. thought that it wiped out like half their team? Yeah, a lot of guys got it. Um, it wasn't just contact tracing. Apparently, a, a I think it was like seven or eight guys on the defense got it, um, as well as the head coach. So I, maybe they're back next week. I don't know, man. I mean, that's that's a bad deal. Um, I mean, the rumor was that it wiped out their entire offense. Yeah. And, and it, not just tracing. It was with cases. Yeah, and it sounds like Utah might be good to go this weekend, so they're finally going to be back on it. Who are they playing? I forgot. USC. <gasps> that's right. That's In right. In Salt Lake. In Salt Lake. So... Wow. Okay. Yeah. So We're we've got some intrigue. Utah play. Yeah. yeah, we've got some intrigue this weekend. Um, if uh, if Colorado and Stanford can get rescheduled, we'll have five Pac-12 games. Otherwise, it'll be four. That'll be really interesting if they repeat that game. Yeah, I, I'd be interested to see what that looks like and see how quickly they adjust. I mean, if you remember, we saw a repeat game one time: uh, UCLA Stanford to end Jim sure. Moore's first year, and then UCLA Stanford six days later in the Pac-12 championship game, and God, it was that's... two. Very different games. And I know you're going to answer this correctly. Your main takeaway of, of you and I going to that game in Palo Alto, what is your, what is your like really vivid takeaway walking away from like just your memory of that, of that whole experience? I'm not just saying the game, the whole experience. Well, I was abjectly disappointed. Um, yes. And I thought they were very close. I thought they should have won the game. And I thought that was going to be the start of multiple Pac-12 championships for UCLA. I, you're talking big in general. I'm talking just about our specific experience of being, remember they had that makeshift tent, that media tent out in the back. And Jim Mora had a like, he was so pissed and so mad and had to make his way into this little tent and talk. And the way he talked, you could just see the heart, just the heartbreak. And we were literally sitting right on top of it. Yeah. So I remember that. And it was, who else was in that? Was it Jonathan? No, I don't think they put Jonathan Franklin for an interview because he. Yeah, didn't he that. fumble or drop the he ball fumbled, or something? Drop the ball, drop the ball. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that was, that was really, really, really intense. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, well, good. Glad we ended on that this, note. This is really exciting. We got to publish this thing before anything we talked about changes. So let's, let's stop right now. All right. Well, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods. We're stopping right now because we got to go. Talk to you again next time. Bruno Port Online. Go there. Stay safe. Yeah, please stay safe out there, everyone. Bye.